Well, I'm sure with the decorations around us this morning, everyone knows what time of year, and especially with the less people that are here this morning, everybody knows what time of year it is. Everybody's either gone or still have that Christmas time where people are still trying to get past the gifts that the kids opened up. Well, it's a time, as Joel said, we look backwards. I know for me, I, I check the box. I'm a box checker. Once we get to a certain time, boom, got that done. The box is checked, and I start looking forward to a different time. It's, it's New Year's, all right? Christmas is gone. No matter what the lights, I mean, Christ is still here, yes. But the lights, they'll be soon be stuffed up back in the garage. Oh, I hate that time, too. Oh, my goodness. But we take stock, don't we? We do. We tend to take stock. We find out, okay, this is what happened in 2021. My goodness, this was a long year. Or this was a short year, and I can't believe it's going forward already. But what's coming in the new one? We don't know. God knows, but we don't know what's coming on. But one thing we do need to know, what's important? What's important to us? What's important to you? And maybe even more so, what's important to the Lord God? Well, we need to set our sights on specific spiritual goals. I know many people make resolutions. I stopped that a long time ago because most of them I broke by the time it was two weeks into January. But I'm talking about spiritual goals that we honestly strive for and goals that we can achieve. And I'm talking about goals of character. Goals of character. Things that God brings through His Spirit into our lives. They... I like to put them this way. They're, they're goals that come from our, our head, go into our head. We understand what we need to do. We see God's Word. We understand that God wants us to do these things. And the goals come from here, and they move down the, the 18 inches, figuratively, to our heart and ooze out into everything that we do in life. And we need to... Put God as the priority. A theologian named Steve Lawson has written, and I quote, Everyone has someone or something at the very center of their lives. No one is without a driving force and consuming passion at the core of their being. I agree with that. For some people, their lives revolve around good things, like their children career, parents, or even ministry. For other people, their lives center on shallow things, such as a favorite sports team, their yard, or a hobby. And yet for others, their lives rotate around the shallowest of all things, themselves. But for the Christian, everything in his or her life revolves around the one driving passion and one dominant pursuit, God himself. God must be at the center of every life or it will be off track. Everything and everyone else must be secondary. 
God must be primary. This is the heart of a God-centered life. And according, and according to our passage this morning, this kind of life God honors. He honors this. And isn't this the kind of life that you want to live? I know I do. And I believe that you do too. I want life, I want my life to count for something. I don't want to wake up someday next year at this time, if I live that long, and say, what happened? I want to do what God wants me to do, and I want you to do what God has for you. The title of the sermon this morning is, Blessed is the One Who Fears the Lord. Blessed is the One Who Fears the Lord. And Psalm 112 is all about what it looks like for a believer to live a Christ-centered life, one that puts God first. I'd invite you to follow along with me as I read this passage this morning. And if you need a Bible, you can find one in front of you. It's uh, blue in color, and it's on page 509 if you'd like that. It's, it's Psalm 112. And out of respect to the Word of God, I would ask that you stand as I read. The Word of the Lord says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his enemies. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. May God bless the reading of his word. May it encourage and challenge us with help through and by the Holy Spirit to live lives in a way from this day forward that will be God-centered ones, ones that God honors. Please be seated. Well, for those of you who want to know, or maybe you don't want to know, you are going to know. Psalm 12 is what is called a wisdom psalm. A wisdom psalm. Psalms are a group of 150 poems, Hebrew poems that are put together in five different books. I'm going farther than I would have normally gone, but I feel you need to know this. Why, I don't know. Wisdom psalms were written 
and I quote, to teach us to cultivate a long-term mindset, fixing our hearts and minds on what is truly ultimate rather than living for a short-term gain. Living for what's ultimate. It's a common theme this morning. And as we'll see, ultimately in this psalm, it is often the perspective. It involves and it contrasts the wicked and the righteous. One more thing that you can't see in your English Bibles, but if you were looking at a Hebrew text, every single stanza, there are 22 stanzas in this psalm, in the Hebrew text. Each one is written beginning with the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet. It begins, so it'd be like you remembering. It's a way to remember what this thing teaches. So it would be for you, A, all, B, boys. But, but the Hebrew letter, it was written so we would understand it. We would remember what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live. And that being an everyday occurrence. Well, we'll begin with the character of the one who is blessed by the Lord. The character of the one who is blessed by the Lord. And the psalm begins with a celebration. Hallelujah. There we go. Hallelujah. It gets our minds on the right frame of mind. What are we here to do? Are you here to make money? Are you here to procreate? Are you here to make a legacy? No, we're here to praise the Lord. And that brings it to it. There it is. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's the ultimate thing that we do in all of our life. And immediately he begins with a beatitude. Now, what's a beatitude? Jesus taught with beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. He taught this, well, he taught it in Matthew 9. I'm going to give you, or excuse me, Matthew 5. He gave us nine beatitudes. I'm going to give you two of them. Most of the time, it's a promise a promise to a person who lives in a certain way. Now, Jesus said this, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Oh, man, mourn? Really? When you mourn over the sin of your life, you'll be comforted. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I'm all about that. Am I all about giving mercy to others? I should be. Well, here the Hebrew poet writes, blessed is the man and the woman who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And here the author defines who a godly person is, and we need to know and strive for these qualities. And if these qualities, men and women, because we don't have too many kids in here this morning, if these qualities are absent in your life, if they are not growing, if, they're, if these things are dead, or if you have none of these, go talk to the Lord because I don't know if you're saved. Because when Christ comes in to your life with his spirit, he will change you. We are not perfect, and we will never be, but you will be changed from the beginning of your time with him. We should be growing. Well, 
he first says the first characteristic is a true godly person is that they fear God. They fear God. And this means that they have great reverence for the Almighty. It doesn't mean that, ah, ah, beyond every, he's going to kill me. He's going to shoot his divine lightning bolts out of his eyes. It doesn't mean that. But when we fear the Lord, we have awe. You're awesome. And again, to fear the Lord doesn't mean that someone is terrified of the Lord, but, capital B, capital U, capital T, but adversative, stop. To dismiss God would be very, very foolish because He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He holds the world in His hand. And to not understand what God is being set apart he's from, from all things, He's set apart. He's above everything. He's holy and majestic and all-powerful. Again, that's hard to wrap our minds around. Let me borrow from James Montgomery Boyce. Just a small little sentence. Understanding that God is forcefully and frighteningly opposed to everything that is unholy or would seek to diminish His glory would be a mistake. The bottom line could be this. A godly person takes God very seriously. The second thing a godly person does is they obey God. They don't just do lip service. They obey God. If a person believes that God is the most important entity in the universe, and He is, in every case and in every situation, they will seek to obey Him in every case and every situation. Now I understand, again, I'm preaching to the choir, and I'm part of the choir, and I don't always do this. Raise your hand if you can agree to that. You don't need to raise your hand. We have some. Others, I'm waiting for the lightning bolt to come down. Just kidding. A person who lives this way, who wants to obey God, that would be constantly conforming their lives to God's commands. The third characteristic of a godly person is they delight in God's commands. They're not just Pharisees. They delight in everything. A godly person who is blessed by the Lord will not only obey. You know, we've seen it. Oh, little Johnny, sit down. I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up in the inside. No, they will rejoice. We need to obey, but they'll find happiness in doing them. Now, we remember, we've talked about the Pharisees before, right? They did everything perfectly, or they thought they did it perfectly, to the law, and they fenced the law, everything they could. If they weren't supposed to walk a quarter of a mile on, a, on the Sabbath, they'd make sure they only walked an eighth. They wouldn't ride an elevator up if we had elevators today. Do you realize that on, in Israel, on an elevator, they just st it stops at every floor so you don't have to press the button so you can keep the law? Because that would be working. That's pharisaical. No. When we obey, we do it because we want to. We, and for this to take place, it, 
It takes a heart change. For us to obey the Lord fully and to love Him and want to do everything, it takes a change of heart which can only come from Him. In one chapter prior to this, in Psalm 111, verse 2, it's written, and we can get a glimpse of this, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in Him. Oh, we've seen the character of the one who is blessed by the Lord, and now in the verses following we'll view the consequences of one's life who is blessed by the Lord. And I apologize already because I'm just using C's. All right? Iteration sees, I, I had to use it. An easier way to say this would possibly be this. The specific blessings of a person, person's life who was blessed by the Almighty. Well, the writer brings these truths to bear in two different ways. Two different ways. Combining two different ideas. Outward blessings, health, sometimes riches, honor, security, and a good reputation, and inward spiritual blessings, such as a godly character. And both are seen as blessings here, and are both are used side by side. We'll see it one, then the other, one, then the other. Now, a word of warning, if we're not careful... We could read this psalm and we would think that those who follow God are guaranteed to be blessed with riches, honor, and everything that they would ever want. Physical blessings. It's called the prosperity gospel. This is not what this psalm is teaching. This is not taught in the scriptures, but the words, and I admit it, the words here do acknowledge that a person who fears the Lord will often be favored by God's blessings. Will often be favored. He loves to favor his kids, both materially and spiritually. This often happens. Thus, both financial riches and spiritual blessings are in view here. Well, let's look at the blessings. First, a God-honoring, fearing person's blessings will be seen with might and uprightness. Might and uprightness. Now, parents, grandparents, this relates to you. Your children will be blessed if you live in such ways. Your children will be blessed. They'll be mighty in the land. And here, mighty means it doesn't mean physical strength. It doesn't mean you are the most powerful athlete in the world. It doesn't mean that, or the greatest warrior. What it does mean, it means a spiritual legacy. You will have a mighty spiritual legacy. Your kids have a better chance to know the Lord and to live for Him if you live in that way. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. The children will be given a mantle of a good reputation and all the benefits that go with it. Their strong foundation. They get a strong foundation when you teach them the Word of God, when they see you living life legitimately. 
Not only church on Sunday and then living like whatever you would want to live like on the other days, they see Christ as priority. That's building a foundation. And they'll be also be known by their parents' good reputation. Oh, you're Larry's kid? You're Larry's, Linda's kid? I know them. Okay, I'll give you a benefit of the doubt. It gives them that. The influence of a godly parent cannot be dismissed. But parents, I would be remiss here to say that this is a guarantee of good behavior. It is not. Not all kids with parents who live godly turn out to be Christian, to live their lives as Christ followers. It's just not the way it is. But one thing I do know, too, I've seen Christians whose parents do not live as they should and have lived lives that are totally heathen, pagan, and they've come to Christ. This is a general principle. The second of two blessings, the two characteristics that go hand in hand is riches and righteousness. Riches and righteousness. Again, notice these two blessings don't always go hand in hand. There are many godly people who are poor. Many godly people who are working paycheck to paycheck. But the verse does say in verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm going, Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, in 3.16, 8.18, and 22.4, riches are promised to those who seek wisdom. How is this working? How is this working? Jesus even said this in Mark. He said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Now notice, with persecutions. Whoa, I was good with everything else until it came to that little part. And in the age to come. But he balanced the statement out in the next verse by saying this one. He said, but many who are first will be last and the last first. God blesses who he wishes to bless. We will have everything that we need. Not necessarily everything that we want. Boyce is helpful here, and I quote him, the psalmist probably had a different emphasis than we do when we consider righteousness and wealth today. We look at verse 3 and say, if I'm righteous, the chances are that I will do well in life. Honesty does pay. God will probably bless me. The psalmist's point is probably something like this. If I fear God and obey his commands, I will grow in righteousness just as God is righteous. And oh yes, incidentally, I will probably do well in business too. Wealth is a blessing, 
though it is no proof of godliness. There are many wealthy people who are scoundrels. I love the way he uses that. I'd use another S word. They're scum. But if we must choose between the two from the godly person's point of view, it is far more important to be be godly than rich. We are told in the New Testament that godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Well, the next two specific blessings of a blessed person who obeys the Lord are light with compassion. Light with compassion. The truth that I've witnessed of a godly person is this. Man, you can see things that others can't. You can see why this is happening. Why is this happening in the world? And a godly person can tell me. Well, because more often, not, more often than not, they're able to see what, what others can't see. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God lives within them. Because they have been given spiritual eyes to understand. Look at verse 4. Light dawns in the darkness. For the upright, he is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Now look at this verse. What does darkness represent? It's life when it's pretty hard. A case against the prosperity gospel is that darkness is seen in the lives of the upright. Cancer happens. Fibromyalgia happens. Hysterectomy happens. A loss of a child happens. But there's great. God is merciful and righteous. Well, is this verse speaking of a godly person or the Lord? Because the Lord in his great self-declaration in Exodus Chapter 34 said this. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. My goodness. God is good. Is it talking about the godly person or the Lord? It's talking about both. Think of it this way. We've all seen the sun, right? And I'm not talking about S-O-N. I'm talking about S-U-N, the sun, the big bright orb in the sky. And it produces a great light. And when it goes away, when it goes down across the horizon, we can't see it. But guess what? There's this thing called the moon. It's also a great orb in the sky, and and it travels. It's smaller. We don't see it. The sun produces the light. The moon reflects it. And at times we look at that moon and it looks so big and so bright. You're going, my goodness, that thing's impressive. Well, that's not impressive at all because it's the sun that's impressive. The sun provided all the light and the moon just reflects it. And I think that this is what this is saying about the righteous 
God is righteous. And we reflect our Father. We simply do what the Father does. Next, good with generosity and justice. Good with generosity and justice. And good means just good things. They come to those who are generous to other people. The person who is willing to lend their material goods to let others use their stuff, their time, to those who are in need. Maybe to give your heart. To be willing enough to get close enough to somebody even when it hurts. They receive good things from the Lord. Verse 5 tells us, It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. And I'd be remiss not to mention those who are just. Just means to be accurate in all your actions. And again, I believe the third time I've mentioned this, how can we do this? Only when we're transformed. When we're transformed by the Lord Spirit inside of us. Continuing with the fifth specific consequence, the characteristic and blessing that someone who is blessed by the Lord exhibits is stability with faith. Oh, and this one, this one is telling. Stability with faith. Bad, hard, difficult things take place in life. I know it sounds like Danny Downer this morning. Good things happen too. I think we had a marriage this year, did we not? We have a couple back there that was married, I believe. What, July, Liz, when was it? Brett and Connie's child and her husband. There we go. Good things happen. That's awesome. But other things happen too. And what will happen when you receive news sometime this year that something has happened that has not gone to plan. We see when the enemy attacks or seemingly triumphs over us, are you going to stand? Will you not be moved? But think with me even before we move on to that. More things can happen than bad things to a person who is blessed by the Lord. Now think with me. Think with me. What are some of the temptations that we have when we have the good things? Well, we, they, we might be tempted to abuse the power and influence that we might have been given. Wow, God's given us great things. He's given us a great job. He's given us things to, a car to drive with, a house to live in. 
Maybe you're a, an employee or an employer. You're an employee over employers. Employers over employees. Sorry. How do you use that influence? What about you have so much good stuff, your portfolio, and you begin to vacillate, or, you, or you're tempted to vacillate in it? By that mean great riches and great temptations to spend your riches in ways that maybe you shouldn't spend them in. Or with great riches come the temptation to hold on to them. I need more. I need to accumulate more. You know, the, 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 the rule of seven, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to let it build. Don't you know I'm retiring soon? I have to have that money. I can't let it go. I have to have that money to go on that trip that I've always wanted to do. Because I might not have enough. But verse 6 and following declare, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. I can't help but think about Job here. Job, the richest man in the world at his time. Why can't I help but think of it? Because he has the same enemy that we did. Satan. Satan. And Satan came before God and told God, the only reason that he follows you is because all the stuff that you give him, all the good things that you give him, and that's the only reason. Now, that wasn't true. But God allowed Satan to test Job, and one day he lost, what, everything that he had. Boom, 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 boom. All the way from all his material things, all his riches, all his goods, all his livestock, even his house was destroyed, and then his children were taken. Now notice that Job and both an enemy, had both an enemy and bad news at the same time. Yet Job was a model of what it means to be steadfast. He was steadfast in his faith, and he trusted God with the outcome. When told of these terrible disasters, one servant after another, one servant after another, one servant after another, it was a bad day. He took his clothes, and he ripped them, and then he shaved his head. Now today, we would look at that and go, okay, so he's just being stylish. He's wearing distressed jeans, and he has a hairdo that's a little bit different than normal. He's just trying to be different. But this was, he did this. It was mourning. He was showing the outside world that he was in deep, deep mourning. Yet in the middle of this great emotional pain that he had, the ripping of his clothing, the shaving of his head, and of course, ashes were flying too. 
he fell down and said this, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do I trust God to that degree? I'm still moving forward on that. I'm not in Job's category. But I have the same Lord. The next verse gives a summary. It says, in all this, Job didn't sin or charge God with wrong. He was not moved. The sixth and summary of the godly person's consequences in their life is this. Honor with compassion. A God-fearing woman or man recognizes those passed over by the wicked. They help those who are downtrodden in the world. Namely, they help the poor. Verse 9. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. No matter what his enemies or his adversaries may say or do, he will be honored by God. That is what a godly person will receive. Honor. And it might not be in this life, but it will be in the next. Paul wrote of a person like this in, in 2 Corinthians. And he wrote, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. We always, we always hear these things when, when pastors are told by the stewardship committee. We don't get that told out here, but... We need money, so I'm going to talk about giving right now. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about life, giving of what you have. And you might not have a dime to spare, but you have time, and you have your heart, and you have your emotions. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, this is not talking all about funds. It's talking about your life. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. I think this is where Paul got this from. I think he quoted this. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. The Lord will lift up those who fear him in his time. And when he does, it will last you don't have to worry about the market crash, and you don't have to worry about thieves coming in and stealing because what God gives, it will last. 
Well, we've seen the character of the one who is blessed by the Lord, the consequences of one's life who is blessed by the Lord. And finally, in verse 10, the contrast of those not blessed by the Lord. Let me break it down for you. It's pretty simple. There are two paths in life. Only two. Only two. The Broadway, I'm not talking Broadway and Monopoly, I'm talking the Broadway, the wide way, the easy way, the one that most people are on, the one is it's just, I mean, I'm just going to walk down this road because it's so easy, there's nothing holding me back. The Broadway, the easy way that leads where? To destruction. And there's the narrow way, the way that's only wide enough for one person to go through at a time. You can't fit through with your spouse. You can't fit through with your parents. You can't through, fit through even with these folks in the congregation with you. It is the narrow way that you yourself can only go through. The way is hard that leads to life. And when the wicked man sees it and is angry, he gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. The way of the righteous, the narrow way, the way that goes through Christ, Christ. I am the gate. I am the door. All who come through me. And then there is the other. One man has said, when he, the wicked, looks on the prosperity of the righteous, I don't think that always this always happens in this life. The wicked often remain quite content with themselves and despise the righteous. But it will happen one day when life is done. The Bible describes hell as a place where there is an eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. What category do you fit? The wicked or the godly? What road are you on? The narrow or the wide? If you're in the non-believing camp on the side of the wicked, that can change. That can change by simply trusting Christ. Accepting his gift of Forgiveness in life. Accepting his gift of righteousness. Nothing that you've done, but everything that he's done. It can change. Christ beckons you to come to him. Come receive forgiveness and eternal life by believing the truths about Jesus. And as I said this on Christmas Eve, I'll say it again. You will never regret it.
Never. If you're in the camp of the godly, are you ready to live fully for him this year, moving forward and beyond? I challenge every single one of us. Live a life that counts. Live a life that counts.